HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. See, I thought I could finish this gummy before the <laughs> intro uh, faded out. Welcome to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell, here today with Aaron Jang and a bag full of gummies. From <laughs> Fl- Where did you get these gummies? It's from a candy shop in Flushing, New York. What's but the name uh, of the candy shop? I only see, you know, you I, know I don't what? know how to read it's that It's one language. of those things where things keep changing in Flushing. And I went back to the candy shop and they said, now we're a block and a half away and it has, you know, the name of it is probably like Happy Candy or yeah, some, yeah. You know, some sort of like Asian stationary name like that. Wow. Those are amazing. Happy Day Candy. So what did I just have? I had like blackcurrant, lychee. Yeah. So many of these look like chicken feet. Yeah. There's, you're missing that one. Do they, that ta- one, do they taste like chicken feet? <laughs> they should. It probably just tastes like fruit punch. Yeah. <laughs> but it looks like the shape of a chicken foot. This is the most boring show so far, but definitely the tastiest. <laughs> but you're happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a blast. So this is also not the gummy show, though now, it knowing that we, yeah, we, we have this affinity, that you might have to be back on and do that. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, your portfolio right now, food sketches, it's food-sketches. Mm-hmm. Is there a blogspot or is it just yep, .com? Yeah, blogspot.com. I'm obsessed with it. Oh, thank it's, you. It's been kind of fantastic. I don't even know how. I found it. I think my fiance had stumbled across it at one point. And, yeah. But they they are such amazing icons, you know. Yeah. Uh, of such everyday foods, but in such a playful and delightful way, kind of like oh, these gummies. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That that yeah. It's been a pleasure to kind of fall on that. But growing up, mm-hmm. you had food and art, or that brain. But yeah. it took a while for that to kind of amalgamate. I think so, yeah. Where did you grow up? 
Um, so I was born in Chicago, but then my parents moved to Seattle and spent a lot of time in Seattle. We also lived in New Jersey for a little bit, but Seattle's mainly where I grew up. Um, yeah, and I love that city. Uh, we're going back next week to visit family, and that feels like my hometown. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you have Chicago. I Aside from deep dish pizza, I don't know much about the cuisine there. Yeah. Um, it's a very Midwest kind of... That's true. Overstuffed, larger than life kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't really have any memories of food from Chicago because I was really just born there, and then my parents moved to Seattle uh, soon after I was born. But I mean, I really associate Chicago with my mom's mom, with yeah. my grandmother, and she lived there, and I associate, yeah, Chicago with her, and really appreciation for food really comes from her when I think about it. So you're of Korean descent. Mm -hmm. What kind of dishes did your grandmother cook? Oh, you know, she, um, her cooking was amazing because it wasn't fancy. It wasn't fussy, but everything she made just had so much love. And she had this, um, community garden plot across the street from her apartment and it was a thing where, like, everything that she touched would just thrive and grow so well that eventually I think almost everyone in that community garden just gave her <laughs> their plot. And she would grow things like, um, I guess it's called perilla leaf or sesame leaf, but she would grow genip and she would grow peppers and all these things. And she would make amazing stews and soups and things that simmer for a long time. And she would, yeah, for, for her, cooking was showing love. Yeah. And there was always like this language barrier that we had because my Korean is not great, but I I really associate love um, of cooking and food with her. Yeah, I, I love how you talk about this with such passion. But in Seattle, you mm -hmm. were the weird one, bringing school lunches that you know had perilla leaf and had <laughs> yeah, had yeah. you know the non lunchables peanut yeah. butter and jelly that you you only wish you had yeah and i think that's totally the story of most children who were born and raised here whose parents were immigrants you know you go to school and you're like god i just want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or you want like all this processed food like oreos and you know all that kind of stuff and only now i look back and i appreciate you know all the all the culture in our food and all those flavors. Whereas, you know, when you're younger, you're just kind of a brat and you wish your mom would just pack you a ham and cheese yeah. sandwich. <laughs> but I mean, now you have a child yeah, and you don't want your son to lose sight of yeah. your culinary heritage. Yeah. I mean, because my husband is Taiwanese and um, I'm Korean and we, you know, it's terrible. People always ask us, oh, are you teaching your son how to speak Korean or Taiwanese? And it's so terrible and kind of embarrassing because neither of us really speak our language very well but for us i mean we're like at the very least we want him to consider comfort food as korean and taiwanese food you know like kimchi jjigae to love that smell and to love having tofu and to love having shaved ice and you know for him to get excited about that kind of food when he grows up and not just be like mac and cheese and Grilled cheese, yeah. you know what, I mean? what about mac and kimchi? Yeah, right? <laughs> Pizza with yeah, kimchi on exactly. top. Yeah, that's what my mom did. <laughs> so where do you go out to eat or do you cook at home? Where do you foster or nourish that excitement? I mean, we live fairly close to Koreatown. And I have to say, Koreatown probably doesn't have the best Korean food. You probably have to go to New Jersey for that. Where in but, New Jersey? Mm, you go to like Palisades Park, you know, and you can yeah. get really good sundubu jjigae there. 
that soft uh, tofu soup. But, you know, you can find good Korean food here, too. It's just obviously not the same, and it's totally overpriced. Yeah. But Well, it's at least it's, in one block. Yeah, yeah, and it's one block, and it's in walking distance from where I live. So that is amazing. And it's just all 32nd between 5th and... Yeah, and there are, like, a couple of restaurants that are a little bit off. But, um, but yeah, we go... I get groceries from, you know, the Korean grocery store on 32nd, pick up things uh, from Udijip you know, and, <laughs> and make stuff at home. And, but definitely when I cook Korean or, or Asian food, it's sort of my own way. It's not the traditional way that my mother made it, but much more simplified. It's almost like Rachel Ray meets <laughs> like Korean mom. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of cooking. Yeah. So did you feel, this is jumping into your formative education, yeah. stereotyped into what you were doing at college? You know, you were an econ major at BU. Oh, well, no, uh, communications. Communications, yeah, okay. I actually studied journalism. Interesting, okay. Yeah. And you weren't a stereotype at all, I was wrong. <laughs> but being at BU, which is, well, during the school year, there, there's a wide breadth of different types of people, but mm-hmm. during the non-school year, it's not. Was it a place that fostered, um, you know, your creative arts or your culinary arts? In college? Um you know, I wasn't really that interested in food until much later, I think. I mean, in college, I was really interested in journalism and design and art. And um, and so that was a time when I really was trying to figure out my path that way. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of, you worked for the Globe. Um, yeah. What kind of coverage did you do? Uh, like, what did I work on? Yeah. So... Uh, right after I graduated, I worked at the Boston Globe for, I think, a few years. And um, and what's great about working at a newspaper is you get to work on a lot of different sections. So I worked on the Sunday Magazine, which was so much fun. And I also got to work on this section called Ideas, which is sort of um, like intellectual, cultural news that's happening during the week. And, um, and it was great because I think at a newspaper, it's one of those places where you have a low budget, like very little budget. And also, you're doing a little bit of everything. So you're doing photo research, you're doing the design, you're silhouetting the images yeah. and like making your own illustrations and sometimes doing your own graphics. And so, um, yeah, I loved working at the newspaper. And I, I still really love working with that kind of content. Like when you design for a newspaper, like I worked at Esquire too, and I really love doing design work for publications where the writing is really interesting stories are interesting yeah because then you can equally be as interesting with the layout yeah the content Uh, has to be good and um let's talk about like the low budget thing yeah because do you think it's important for somebody Mm -hmm. to work with barely nothing to create something great rather than have it all given to them i think so right i feel like sometimes the best things come out of Having very, very little. And, and that's true even for cooking and food, right? Sometimes you have just whatever you have in the pantry and small amount of things, but you can make something wonderful out of that. And, um, and same in, in design and art, I think. Like, I worked at the Seattle Times for a year, and it was very, like, low budget. We didn't have money to be commissioning illustrators and things like that. And actually, um, Seattle Times is one of the few places where the illustrators were actually the staff on uh in the design department and so every week i would work on this section that was sort of like the going out section right and 
you'd find out two days before that page is going to ship, you know, the story is going to be about, I don't know, some artist coming into town. And literally, I'll have to make something up in a day and illustrate it. And there's no money, but you have like a crappy piece of handout art, some photo. And I would make these collages, these crazy collages um, that would run full page, almost like a poster yeah. in that but, section. But did you have but, a background in the arts? I mean, did you have a deft hand at illustrating or was it learned on the you know illustrator itself? I think, I mean, in college I did, I mean, I majored in magazine journalism. But, I mean, after a year or two, I definitely realized that I wanted to be doing designing. I wanted to be illustrating more than writing. And um, I was more interested in that visual side. So even though I couldn't actually switch majors, I pretty much took as many classes as I could in design. And um, and in my spare time, I would illustrate for a lot of the local papers and things like that. So I had that kind of experience. But I think that job at the Seattle Times and also at the Globe, that was sort of a place to really exercise <laughs> working yeah. on collage and sort of developing a style and just experimenting, which is fun. Yeah. Then you came to New York, mm-hmm. found yourself... At the, you know, beginnings of Rachel Ray magazine. <laughs> yeah, What yeah. was that like, trying to create an image for a person that already had an image? I mean, Rachel Ray was so much fun. And it's like, I think Rachel Ray is one of those people where people either love her or they hate her. <laughs> and she's so polarizing. But I had such a blast working there. And it was in the very beginning after they had launched and the team there was amazing. There was such a great photo and design team. And that that's everything at a magazine staff, working with really, really good people. And um, and I think at that, at that time, I think, again, working with the content, with all those recipes and entertaining tips, I actually learned so much yeah. just from working on those pages that I actually would go home and buy those ingredients and try out those recipes and have people over and, and cook these things um, from the pages that I was designing. So that was so much fun. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great to hear that you kind of educated yourself of food through design. Yeah. Um, do you have a whole bunch of other people that you know that are like that, that didn't know how to cook and kind of, or maybe even that read food sketches that, you know, kind of educate <laughs> themselves through design first? I mean, I definitely have people who will email me and say, oh, I saw that sketch, so then I went to that place and had that dish, and I yeah. love it, and, and they have a memory from it. And that's always really cool to get emails like that. Yeah. <laughs> so the style of Rachel Ray Magazine, obviously, mm-hmm. is different than Esquire. Yeah, totally. Is <laughs> different than Martha Stewart. Um, how do you change your brain? I mean, how do you change your you know, workflow to be able to work in all those different magazines? Yeah, I mean, it's always an adjustment. Like when I when I was at Rachel Ray, I mean, there's definitely a certain aesthetic where they're wanting lots of different call-outs and buttons and colorful doodads on the page. And, and for me, a lot of my own personal style would probably be much more restrained and and uh, much more organized. <laughs> but um, But that's okay. I feel like as a designer, you need to understand the brand you need to understand the client and still have your own voice a little bit but you still are communicating whatever it is that you're working with what the story is so going back to your grandmother yeah how, what words would you use to define her cooking her plating the way that she went about things is it more clean restrained organized is it more oh, no, no, doodads no. it's just love yeah nothing fussy no fancy plates i mean 
my grandmother lived in the smallest kind of humble little apartment. And, um, yeah, it's really, for her, it was just spare and simple and hearty, but you really feel love through her cooking. I mean, she would spend, like, days preparing for a visit if you're going to come over. Like, I remember my, the first time, um, my husband met her because she wasn't able to come to our wedding. You know, he doesn't speak Korean or anything. And she, like, I know that she went to her garden and picked all those vegetables, then walked, you know, she, and she was really unhealthy. Then she, she was really sick. And she would, like, travel to go pick up all the ingredients by foot and then come home, then prepare it all. And, and so it was, like, days of preparing for something that is just so simple, but there's so much love in it. Yeah. So that's how I would describe it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but do you see that projected in magazines? And are there specific magazines that have that same, you know, aesthetic to them? Well, I guess in the sense of, you know, when you see a magazine story, it'll, you might only look at that page for like maybe five minutes. Sometimes you don't even read the story and you'll just flip through and you'll stop at the photo. But you have no idea how much time and planning went into that before you're even reading it, especially. You know, when I was working at Martha Stewart, um, I think that's something that people maybe don't understand is the amount of time and love and care that went into sort of preparing each story from the stylist to the photographer to all the sketches that we did beforehand from the craft team that actually made all the crafts by hand and did tons of versions before the shoot even happened. You know, so there is a ton of planning that goes into that one beautiful page that you see for maybe a few seconds yeah. hopefully you linger longer but well i mean it's like a yeah. dish at a restaurant there's yeah. a whole team behind that yeah and then you, know. you eat it in like five seconds yeah, yeah. <laughs> so wh- when are we ever going to get you know creativity uh you know and consumption equal in time i don't know if that ever will be but i don't know bring that gap closer together i think is an important thing yeah i guess when you just it's when you understand like it's it's when you get to know the person who makes what it is that you're enjoying. Like when you get to talk to a magazine person, you're like, oh God, I had no idea photo shoots yeah. work that way. And <laughs> that you spent like, you know, two months preparing for that one four page story in the well, right? Yep. <laughs> or oh, when you talk well. to, right? And then you talk to a chef and you're like, I mean, you do a lot of back of the house shoots and you see, oh my God, there's so much that goes into that one, like that one tiny dish, that one appetizer, right? Yeah. And it's only when you kind of, educate yourself and you meet people who are doing interesting things you gain that appreciation i think yeah well that's why i brought you on today (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna take a quick break and come back and talk about your food sketches which i'm just going bonkers about you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org we'll be right back Today's program was brought to you by Rolling Press. 
Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. <laughs> I was going to try to shovel in some more food, uh, some more gummies and such, but yeah. we need we need this time to talk. Yeah, we need to chill. Yeah. <laughs> so I just pulled up food sketches, yeah. food-sketches.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they're abstract. They're, yeah. they're forms, they're shapes, they're colors. Mm-hmm. How did you arrive after years of working for magazines, which had, you know months and teams how did you arrive at something that seems so simple but is so striking Mm, i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i just it's so funny how this project began because it wasn't this premeditated thing where i'm like i'm gonna draw all these different dishes and it's gonna last this long and and this is how often i'm gonna do it it really was just kind of on a whim i had just had my son a couple months ago, a few months ago, and January of last year, the first day of the year, I was like, you know, I just want to be doing something just for fun. No client work. It's just, there's no one that I'm needing to please or or make this for, but it's just for my own expression and just as a little side project. It's not even really meant to have a ton of people yeah. see it. I guess I just I just wanted my own little record of things that I was making and to just sort of exercise that part of my brain. Well, two things. How important is it to have something on the side and you know that that you're happy about that mm-hmm. isn't work? Actually just one thing. That. <laughs> I think it's so important. Like I get a bunch of emails from students and and people asking like, "Oh, how do you how do you get the work that you get to work on?" And for me, I feel like you know, it's also like when people show their portfolios, for example, like students bring in their portfolios for internships or jobs at magazines, and you always see the same kind of work. And I'm like, I can spot it from a mile away. Like, it's that one type assignment from SVA yeah. or like there's well, one project. What is that work? I mean, that people, yeah, yeah, that you always see that you hope for different. Well, I mean, it's all the same kind of stuff. It's like a, like, type expression projects and you know a fake booklet or a movie poster or something but you know you want to see I want to get to know the student who's applying for that job and what is it that you're into and if you didn't have to make this work for class really like what is your own design expression what is your style and I I love seeing portfolios where people just came up with their own thing yeah. And they're doing it because they just love it. And I think that's what's so important if you're a creative person. I mean, I'm sure you know, like, if you're a photographer or if you're a graphic designer or if you're an illustrator, I mean, to have – it's more for your own sake, too, to grow as a creative person, to sort of stretch yourself and just try something that might be a little bit outside of what you normally do. And then – um it's just the joy of making something, yeah. you know, because I also know some people who just do, I know a lot of like students that feel stressed out and they're like, yeah, I have to do a personal project. And then they're just doing this thing almost like so that they can get tons of comments on their blog and, you know, be on these inspiration sites and, you know, to almost 
be famous on the internet yeah. for their side project. But that is never a good reason either. Like it really should just be something that you love and it should be purely out of your joy of making something, not because you're trying to get something out of it, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, did you love collecting grease stains? And tell me about that little project. <laughs> well, there was, uh, what was it for? It was for a story at Esquire. I, I often got to work on a lot of the food stories at Esquire, um, which was so much fun. A lot of those recipes for men, there's like an annual um, story in the magazine for that. And I think it was for one of those uh, like food restaurant packages. And, um, you know, I, had, I have an awesome creative director who's still there, David Cricurito, and he loves to kind of like push it and make the design more masculine, more interesting and un- unexpected and have texture to it. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to add something else to this page. And my co- coworker and I, we went to go get barbecue. And I was like, I need some grease stains for the layout. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to go buy it off some stock image site, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'm just You can gonna, make your own grease. Yeah, yeah. DIY grease stains. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, that's fun. Like, I, I loved working at Esquire because there was, there was that opportunity to really do something a little bit outside of the box and to, you know, do interesting things on the page. Yeah. So, do you remember your first food sketch, and did you create a protocol in your head about how you were going to do this project? A little bit. I mean, I didn't. It wasn't that premeditated. I didn't think too much about it, but I did want to create some restraints for myself because I'm maybe it's like the difference between like a designer and an artist. Like, I like having restraints. I like having some sort of rules or guidelines to sort of you know shape the project. And so I said, I'm going to have everything be a square, and give myself those dimensions and um and i wanted everything to be flat and digital with the idea that maybe at some point i can turn these into paintings or collage or whatever but just for something to be quick and easy to put um online so you say yeah. quick and easy but i know it wasn't quick and easy well yeah because you I know, sit there right? and labor <laughs> over these things because they're so meticulous well, you know some are and some are not oh, like yeah? you know that black and white cookie yeah that literally took five seconds <laughs> it's like black and white yeah. what were the hardest ones then i mean i'm um, looking at an ikea swedish meatballs um i mean the motorino pizza that yeah, I saw like before. that one was so easy because there's some dishes when i'm out to eat i'm like i when i see a dish of food i'm already looking at it in terms of form and line and color it's almost like i don't know if you ever saw that 30 rock episode where uh kenneth looks at all his coworkers and they all look like muppets i don't yes, know if you know yes, what i'm yeah, talking yeah. about <laughs> but it's almost like that where like i'll look at food and i what you see is different from what i see like you're a photographer you're looking at the light and all these shadows and things and i'm i'm literally looking at flat color yeah and shapes and I'm like, this would make such a good food sketch. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go home and illustrate. Well, I, I certainly can tell you, I didn't look at the kung pao pastrami at Mission Chinese the same way you did. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing, and it's, it's so festive. Um, yeah, it's like an explosion. Yeah. <laughs> I, are there dishes though that you look at and you say, no, this won't work for me? Um, I feel like everything could work, but a lot of it has to do with, I mean, just practically speaking, I have a baby at home or a toddler and a. There are just some dishes that I want to illustrate, but I know it's going to take me a long time. So I'm like, that is kind of going in the bank, and I'm going to go back to that. Yeah. Like, I have a bunch of those. That's why, I mean, I'm going to start doing this thing this year where I do throwback dishes, and I'll go back, and when I have the time, I'm going to illustrate dishes that were really cool, but will probably take some time for me to really think it out and (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, what kind of dishes? Um, a lot of them are dishes from when I've traveled. Like, for example, one of the most memorable meals I had was at Tickets in, in Barcelona. Um, I mean, this is probably the most inventive food that I've had in a long time. And it's incredibly playful, yet so spare and restrained and kind of minimal. But there's like a twist and a play to each dish. I mean, it's so brilliant. Like there's one dish that comes in this mason jar and olive oil and it looks like olives in a jar, but those olives are globules that, I don't know, whatever molecular gastronomy yeah. kind of way, they've made it um, so that it looks like green olives. And then you put it in your mouth and the thing just explodes with flavor and juice comes out. I mean, it's like this crazy experience eating this food, but um there were some amazing dishes that I had there, and one of them was this dessert that looked like a forest. I don't know if, if you've heard about this dish, but it looks like leaves and twigs and red mushrooms, and literally it's all made out of food and sugar. And that's one dish, for example, I would love to illustrate, but yeah. I need some time to figure that out. Well, you know, this is a very funny line, um, whether or not you're visualizing the, the actual site of it or the the flavor profile afterwards, because, yeah. you know... It's almost trickery because they're they're presenting something which it's actually not. Um, you know, the <laughs> olive isn't actually an olive. The forest isn't actually a forest. Yeah. And it has these flavors. So how do you, like, amorphize uh, flavor? I mean, that's a different thing. And sometimes I think about it, like, almost as if it's an infographic. Do you know what I mean? Where, like, each of these shapes and colors, they actually are representing a flavor. Not so much literally every item that's on that dish but like right now you have that um shaved ice pulled up and it's like to me i'm not actually showing the texture of things and and all of that but it's almost just a like i said an infographic just breaking down what's in that dish and those flavors and more than anything to me it's i guess the reason why i do this is they're almost like snapshots of different memories i have from really great meals and i don't express that in the text on the blog but you know, each dish has a memory with it and something that I recall from that. And um, so for me, it's almost like this little record or diary of yeah. different food experiences. Well, you know, when you talk about an infographic, too, it's usually mm-hmm. something that's informed. So when an audience reads it, they understand some of the iconography. Yeah. Um, and you've certainly set yourself up here yeah. in, in a wonderful way that, you know, people do recognize some of the ingredients, even though they're just abstract forms and yeah. and shapes. Let's go back to your childhood. Your father worked for fisheries, and you got to eat yeah. at it. Little hole in the walls, yeah. uh, Japanese food, sushi, which now proliferates. Um, yeah, you couldn't have done this project back then. People wouldn't have understood what a perilla leaf looked like. I know, right? I mean, so much of food culture has changed now. Like back then, like right now, here in New York, if there's a little hole in the wall place. It's not secret. Everyone knows yeah. about it. New York Magazine has written about it. <laughs> and, like, Serious Eats has written about it. But, you know, when we are growing up, no one was really writing about these things or writing Yelp reviews. But somehow my dad would know about all these tiny, tiny hole-in-the-wall places that were serving the most fresh sushi. And you would never guess it because they would be in the suburbs, in the strip mall. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But my dad would take us there, and I never really... I don't think I really understood how special that was until I got older. Yeah. Well, you're doing it for your son. Yeah. So it's a a wonderful thing to bring it back around and, you know, open it up to a new generation. Um, Not only do I want people to go to food sketches and check out all these amazing meals that 
you've saved for yourself and, and you know, shared with us. Mm-hmm. But you do paperless posts. There's ways to actually purchase these prints yeah. as cards. Uh, what other ways can people actually access this? Um, so you can find, if you go to Paperless Post, I'm one of their design partners. I just created a new stationery line with them last year. And it'll be great because throughout the year I'll be releasing... Um, more cards that are all like food themed. So for Valentine's Day, we had a series of food related cards that I designed, and um, that's been so much fun. So you can find um, stationery that you can send through Paperless Post, and I also have um, a web shop that sadly I really need to update. <laughs> like I, I actually do have prints and things that I could sell, but I it's just been so busy with work. But um, but people can find my work at theindigobunting dot bigcartel.com and you can find stuff there um yeah and more fun projects coming along excellent well i'm certainly going to keep on tap and we will yeah. do that gummy show we will no doubt we about will. it excellent <laughs> thank you aaron not erica yeah <laughs> thanks check out food sketches and return back and listen to us on the food scene on heritage radio network.org next week cheers Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.